0: Hi guys, Vogon here. First of all, I would like to apologize for the quality of audio in this episode. Craig played some tricks on me, and I had to use the backup audio. That is not as good. It's another long episode, but the talk was good, so I hope you enjoy. I normally do not ask for stuff for myself, but if I can, and you enjoy the show, please send me some feedback either through email to thetalkpodcast at gmail.com or through a review on your favorite podcast platform or even share it with a friend that may not know about it. It does help a lot, and I would love to hear your thoughts about the show. Now, on with the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Talk, a podcast about the mechanical keyboard hobby and what makes it build. My guest this episode is a mechanical keyboard enthusiast that enjoys the building side of the hobby. A streamer on Twitch, he likes to share his view with his viewers the build experience, as well as teach about it. I am EURU. Welcome to The Thought. Thank you.
1: I appreciate your time.
0: No worries, man. Thank you so much for for being here. I really appreciate you joining us. So I'm not sure if you're aware, but, you know, we always start with the most cheesy and usual question there is, but it is what it is. So what got you in the mechanical keyboard hobby to start with?
1: So I think I first... I first saw the mechanical keyboard community and I thought that it was ridiculous to spend, you know, three or four hundred dollars <laughs> on a keyboard. Um, yeah. I had a friend who showed me a Tex Yoda 2 and I was like, oh, that's that's kind of cute, but I still can't understand why anyone would spend like four hundred dollars on on this uh awesome looking little rectangle. Yeah, with plastic. Ah. Indeed. Yeah, so then In my normal manner, I started digging into, you know, something that was interesting. I was like, oh, I like mechanical things. Um, And I just kind of fell into it. And that's the way that I, things kind of work for me. I (laughs) I was deep into a hobby. So I I want to say somewhere around June of 2018 is the first time I ordered any kind of mechanical keyboard. Cool.
0: So from that point on when you started looking into it where did you realize yourself that you had fallen into the 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 big rabbit hole and you were down on it and that's it you're done
1: yeah i mean that's pretty much how every hobby of mine goes instantly so i already knew (laughs) that i was as deep i was going in deep from the beginning you were did you have any any board in
0: mind when you started anything that you decided you know what i'm going to go with this one or or you were just curious about the you know the the hobby itself how how boards were it, or as soon as you started you had this mindset of no no i want this
1: so the first uh i mean everybody wants the awesome korean customs um but the very first keyboard that i actually ordered uh was a I think it was it was either the Kira hot swap or it was or it was some other KBD fans like a DZ60 hot swap kind of deal. Um, because hot swap was kind of all the rage at the time. Uh, fast forward to now, and I absolutely despise hot yeah. swap things. Were
0: you at the time? Were you already comfortable with soldering and stuff, or at the time you were still a bit little bit like? On, on, on soldering
1: oh oh uh i've had soldering experience from a pretty young adult age i guess okay so yeah for you it was like a play. Yeah. it's something that you just yeah. okay yeah you just yeah I, you do. at one point i worked for a company that made high-end tube amplifiers like right when i got out of high school and i was uh you know in school and doing stuff so i i just had some job on the side where that's what I did. And so soldering mechanical keyboards, pretty simple compared to building from scratch. To be honest,
0: it's one of the things I say to everyone that, uh, you know, everyone that starts and that is not confident and has never soldered before. People think that it's this, you know, this monster, but it's not. It's really easy in the end. You know, you just, you just need to understand a few principles of it. And in the end, it's not really that hard to do. You know, it's really, and it's really satisfying to do. Right.
1: Yeah. Especially, especially for keyboards. So there's very little current or voltage passing through any, any, uh, wire or trace. So really, you just need continuity there. Correct. it pass any voltage. It doesn't, Correct. it doesn't need to be much current. Yeah. So
0: now, on another note, what are you currently typing on?
1: So what's normally on uh, on my main desk right now is the Heine TKL1. Um, on my streaming rig desk, I normally have the BIAS, so both TKLs. And right now, I have a mode 80 on my desk that's a customer build, nice. mostly because we're doing a podcast and it's a silent keyboard and it's still <laughs> here. So hey, even
0: if you heard, you know, keyboards on the podcast it's a podcast about keyboards. So even if there's sound of keyboards, people need to understand that's. That's what. Fair enough. Right now, you spoke about TKLs, etc. Question is, do you even small? So, what is your favorite form factor? Why is that? Do you go to forty percent? Are you more comfortable with uh, full sizes uh, TKLs? What is your favorite uh, form factor at the moment?
1: So, so I like full size, right? So I'm left-handed. I left-hand mouse, and when I when I play any kind of games, like an FPS or where I have to move around a lot, where most people would use WASD, mm-hmm. I use the 10 key. Okay. So I sense. like full size, yeah. but they're yeah. basically no, they're basically two decent custom mechanical full size keyboards. So 1800 compact and full size compact are kind of my go-to yeah. come doing gaming. If I'm not, it's TKL.
0: Okay, so you, 60% are not really your game, even.
1: now. Yeah, so I do a lot of, so when I'm typing, I don't do a ton of coding, but I do some. Um, so I find myself using shift and home or end to whole select a line and okay. or shift and arrows. Yeah. So 60% is really difficult for me. For the stream desk, I ran with 60% a lot for a while, mostly because I had a nice 60%. I still have it. Um, Aka 60. There's my plug.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, but it's convenient for its size on my streaming desk because, as you know, if you ever built a keyboard, right? Any of you guys out there, uh, your desk gets completely cluttered and jam packed full of things as you're assembling and soldering and doing Mm -hmm. the whole deal. So it's pretty convenient, but generally speaking, 65 is about the smallest I'll go for any kind of regular prolonged utilization yeah, because of the arrow keys etc like you said it it does yeah but i've i've taken uh i've had a few people comment on you don't even use small keyboards and there's a lot of people that watch uh the stream that use small keyboards and i have a lot of respect for people who can use them i do have a corn um kit that's mine that i haven't built i built a bunch of them for other people but i haven't built mine and I'm pretty sure I'm gonna build that up and try and play around with it and get a little bit used to it. I like small keyboards for their compact, portable nature, but I just need to get more used to it if I'm gonna play around with it. Definitely, definitely.
0: On uh, on that sense, do you like them stiff or do you like them wiggly? And again, we're talking um, about keyboard mounting styles here.
1: Don't yes. anything else stiff um so generally speaking my favorite type of mounting style would be top mount Mm -hmm. Uh, call me a traditionalist i guess on on that but i i do have a love of palm plates but it's more about the sound than the than the flex i don't mind flex a little bit but all things being equal i would choose a brass or a steel plate over any other options and i would choose top mount
0: I've been starting to be a fan of of uh, carbon fiber as well. I really like the the stiffness of it and the sound.
1: Yeah, the, the, it still has a lot of that stiffness, and the sound is very. I don't I don't know what the right word to say is. I want to say resonant, but I don't think that's exactly the yeah. correct term. I would say it's carbon fiber. <laughs> yeah, know, there it, you it, go. It, it,
0: it's something like that, right? But uh, but yeah, I, I like brass a lot as well. But but carbon fiber, I don't know. The sound is a bit better than than than. than but I also like, uh, you know. As uh, a theremen said on the on the podcast, you know nice shiny things, bright shiny things that that's what brass is,
1: yeah, it is um it also has a higher pitched sound yeah. um but so I only have one board of my own that's built with a carbon fiber plate right now, and that's um and that's the j o one, which is pretty much flawless sounding in my opinion it sound is its number one. Quality. I mean, I love the pen rail. I love the way it looks. Don't get me wrong. No complaints about anything else. But the sound is really where that board shines the best. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Jay Jay really took uh, took care of of the sound of that one, right? He really wanted to. One of the one of the features of that board was definitely the sound profile. That's that's. I think board.
1: that was his focus, I, mm-hmm. and I've talked to him about it before. And I'm pretty sure, if I recall correctly, that was the primary focus for that board. Uh, I think he nailed it. It sounds great, but I've built plenty of other carbon fiber boards for people that sound good. Even cases with completely different internal volume and um, design in general, like Space 65. I built a couple of those with CF plates and they sound phenomenal. Carbon fiber does sound amazing. I do have some Alps plates that I had custom cut for some of my customs that I'm going to build. And those are carbon fiber. Uh carbon fiber laser cut. I think they're laser cut. I'm almost certain. Either way, carbon fiber plates. Yeah. For Alps stuff. Can't wait.
0: <laughs> now you already spoke a bit about it, but uh next question is Ergo what, bruv? So what are the limits of ergonomics to you? So do you go would you go full split splurgo gang or just uh traditional uh you know staggered layout? You already mentioned the corn that you're probably thinking about it. I'm going to be very honest. I tried it and I cannot really go that way. But,
1: you know, what are your thoughts on that? So my best typing speed on a on a corn with uh, no keycaps was 10 words per minute. Yeah. <laughs> big flex there. I think I, saw, nope, I, no think I saw that
0: stream, to be honest. I think I saw it. Yeah. Something like that. But it's same as me. You know, you go like, uh, where is it? Uh, okay.
1: Yeah. It's... It, so it had uh I think if I recall correctly I had the droshna um Kim K load on it. So it's a super strange layout anyway, plus it's ortholinear, plus I didn't even have keycaps on it, so looking wouldn't have helped. Um so yeah, it and it's a style that I'm not really used to or and I don't prefer, but so it was a little bit of a joke, right? But at the same time it was kind of just to show off that hey, I'm I'm bad at this uh full split ergo thing so for me ergonomics um i'm a traditionalist i like the standard ANSI type layout i don't have anything against iso though i always buy the iso keycaps when i when there's an option but for me it's uh nsi and i do have a couple ergo boards that i think are really cool and they're alice layout but that's about as wild as I'll go for anything that I'm going to use personally for any significant amount of time.
0: Yeah. I haven't tried myself, Alice, uh, you know, on the episode with Nathan and I asked him about it, and, you know, he also enjoys it a lot. I'm curious of how it feels, if it does really feel that much difference from a, from a regular stagger, but I know that a lot of people that that, that that told me that, you know, you get used to it really fast and it's actually quite nice know uh, layout so i'm curious to try to to use one
1: yeah there was a keyboard i think it was called the virgo um I, i'm i'm an idiot for not getting in on that board because frankly that probably would have been a better layout for me than a traditional alice mm-hmm. um that being said i i don't dislike using alice but i would not choose to type with my wrists angled that direction it's probably just bad habit uh, well Traditional habits, I guess, formed over my entire lifetime.
0: Yeah, but I guess you know, we can, we can fall into that gang of, oh my god, he doesn't doesn't type properly. Oh my god, he doesn't lift the wrist. You know, there's always going to be someone telling you that you're doing stuff wrong. But like you said, you know, it's you get used to typing in a certain way throughout your life, and and then it's very hard for you to adapt to to new. You know, the, for me, the, I, I find it very simple. There's no proper way of typing. You know, some people type. Uh, Very fast with, you know, with, uh, I've seen videos of guys typing at uh, almost 200 words per minute and using one of the hands to use one or two fingers.
1: Yeah, so I didn't, I didn't learn to type. I didn't learn to touch type until I got into this hobby, Uh, at least with my fingers resting on the home row. I used to type very, I mean, I used to type about as fast, honestly, as you guys normally see on my, on my streams with. My fingers floating over the keyboard yeah with no order so i mean obviously there would be patterns that i would have fallen into over the decades of typing that i've got but i didn't have to look down at the keyboard correct to reference i probably made a few more mistakes than i do when i'm really trying to type well and especially if i practiced a little bit recently but I typed about 60, 65 words a minute. And I think on my stream, you probably never see me type over about 75 words a minute. I don't recall what my max is, but it's probably not more than like 85 in any typing tests. I'm not a fast typer, but I also don't practice at all. Yeah, but it's like me, man. And I don't type all day. The truth is that, you know,
0: we know that a lot of people like to do that. And it's also in the hobby, there's all this, uh, you know, this... uh, I would say this uh vertent of people trying to you know to do fast wpms etc but you know what I find is that in order for you to enjoy a keyboard you don't really need to type 150 words per minute if you do fantastic you know really good for you uh but you know and, all, and also um I don't know if it's you know me coming from an older age and not having really had any course or any study on how to type and I also learned to type by myself. I touch type, but I do touch type at my own type of of touch typing, right? I don't really, you know. One of the things is that really throw, throws me off on on split boards is that I type the B. I type with my uh, right hand, so so I actually understand now why, for instance, Alice has two Bs. For me, it would be great because I type B with my right hand, and when I use split boards, is one of the things that I feel uh, a bit. No, I struggle a little bit, a little bit with it. Obviously, after you know, I would say a day using it, you get used to to typing B with your left hand. But as soon as I move to a regular stagger, B comes immediately back to the right hand, right? Uh, but I think it's also a bit that that you, that you just learn to to type in your own way. Yes, of course, nowadays most of the of the the young people have you know they're taught in school how to touch type. There's actually a did you did you Learn again, did you relearn how to type on that sense on the actual home row and where the fingers need to go?
1: Yeah, right about when I got into okay. the hobby, I relearned. and like I said, though, I, even though there were typing classes in my uh it, I, man maybe in like my high school and i think in maybe my junior or senior year of high school, I remember taking some typing class just for credit, but I didn't I typed so fast normally because i had been using computers since i was yeah. 5 years old that i didn't that i didn't need to learn to actually do what they were saying i could just pass the the speed tests inherently yeah and so there are obvious advantages to learning to touch typing correctly but the reality is the qwerty keyboard layout that we have right now is actually designed to slow your typing speed so, back before computers existed and people were using typewriters, before electric typewriters existed, you had, um, you had bars on the typewriter that would have to swing up to smash into the, Correct. the ink yeah. and or paper. Whether it was a ribbon type or, I mean, there's a million different types, but generally speaking, there was a mechanical process going on there. And if more than one letter was one more than one letter bar was going to come up at the same time they would jam so the layout that we use was actually designed to slow that typing process down a little bit so that you couldn't type yeah, so fast exactly that you would run exactly. into problems yeah so plus we don't all have the same finger lengths we don't all have the same exact ranges of motion in our digits so you finding the way that works for you is yeah. always going to be the best, right? Whatever kinematically works best you think, for you.
0: And now, now that's a, that's a good uh, a good point of discussion, which is, you know, with all the evolution that happens, it's curious that we never saw. Well, we never saw. We do have, uh, you know, the um, the ortho, uh, you know, gang and stuff like that. But there's not really. This is like this layout has not changed throughout the years. It's been the same, you know, uh, and again, based on typewriters, based on all that thing of the of the mechanical side, really the mechanical side of the little hammers moving so that if you would touch, they would hit each other. Even the, the way that the, the the keys are staggered is because of that, because mechanically they would be staggered because you were pushing on a metal thing that would then push a rod, right? And it's curious that we this has stayed the same for, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 years. And there hasn't been any change to it, you know. It's so curious. There hasn't been any change apart from the ortho uh, side of it, or the nowadays of obviously more on our on our side of the hobby, where you have those splits and and uh, and yeah, some commercial splits. But it's curious that the 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 standard, you know, uh, and you know, staggered layout has stayed the same most of the time, right?
1: Yeah. So I think the only real notable exception to that is stenography equipment. So stenographers do use different types of layouts and realistically that evolved for like court reporting. And I mean, there's more than just that for stenography, but that those specific pieces of hardware, whether they were fully mechanical or electromechanical or fully electric, they came as a result of People needing to keep up with multiple parties yeah. talking at the same time and then dictating that. And they're highly specialized, and we don't have any of that in our hobby because, frankly, no one would want to use it because what Correct. they know is QWERTY. Yeah. Or maybe quartz or something. Stenography is
0: just, it's basically chords, even. It's not even, you know, writing as we, th- we, can, we think about, right? It's, it's chords that they type and that
1: create you know. Yeah. And there's shorthand and yeah, there's all yeah, sorts sure. of other stuff that's going on there. It, we wouldn't want to use that to use on a, on our computer. basically.
0: Apart from one guy that I know that likes to use, uh, <laughs> that likes to try it,
1: but really a stenography. I mean, not
0: stenography, but, uh, but, um, you know, he likes to use uh, what's the name of the board. I can't remember it now. Did the, the. Bactyl? No genie.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Genie that has 10 keys. Oh. So you you go with that. it's basically ten keys and it's like cording, so it's a concept similar to stenography where you do chords and each chord means a letter,
1: so That's it's it's very curious. Yeah, I have to look that up.
0: Yeah, I'll send you some links too, and I'll put it probably on on the on the show notes. Uh, but it's a very curious board, right? Now going to your uh, to to questions more dedicated to yourself uh, as we normally do on on the episodes. So um you obviously you know if people don't know i am you are you he does build streams on twitch um you started doing build streams as a long time ago
1: uh, two years two years i think two pretty two much years. i think i think months. you
0: were like you were probably the first uh build streamer that i actually started following and and one of the people that uh, taught me a lot in your streams right what got you to start in streaming uh you know, keyboard builds, at the time, I don't think that there were that many people doing it. And it was not as today, which is uh, honestly, for me, a bit saturated now in terms of build streams. Everyone builds keyboards. Uh, but when you started, this, it was really, really, um, you know, I would say probably the beginning of build streams,
1: right? Yeah, there were a couple people. So, um, Teha was already doing a stream at the time. Um, I want to say that I've seen or had seen Mac Merlin probably do a couple streams um, of, of specifically QMK-related stuff at the time. Obviously, uh, TopClack was doing, was doing their thing at the time. Um, there were a few, but there wasn't a ton. And honestly, for me, what got me into it was I'm really bad at doing social media. Um, I frequently don't have my phone with me throughout the day, even though I use my work phone continuously to type uh, emails and stuff like that. In fact, the most typing I probably do is frankly with my thumbs or my fingers doing swipe. um, Even to write emails, even to write really long things. So... For me, though, I I frequently won't have my phone either on me or I'll have it muted completely for meetings or whatever. And so for me, it was a way to engage with the community. Um, Like I said, I'm bad at the social media side, so I figured this was a more direct way of engaging. And it was a way for me to bring something to the hobby. So the, the goal of my stream has really always been Not just to be entertaining but to impart some information. I know we do a lot of just build streams and even some of the same types of build streams over and over. Generally that's dictated by customer load but my own projects have always been more exploratory and the goal really has always been to show people the intricacies like if somebody wants to know how to solder or how to solder well or how to fix a trace or something. I think we've done it that a few times. You know, things like that. I want to engage in a way that's hopefully educational.
0: Yeah, it's one of the things that I, that I enjoyed uh, on your streams from the beginning, and that I saw is that that you know, it's one of those types of of build streams where you you know you're not just there looking at someone building, but you also take care of teaching people how to do it. You know, and again, for for us that know how to do it you know and, and I joke and say that every build stream you will see someone explaining you how to loop a stab uh, but you have to understand that a lot of people that are watching you know they' never seen how to loop a stab and it's important that you continue to do it because you know we cannot take for granted that everyone knows how to do stuff right and it's one of the things I like on your stream was that you really took care of uh, and you still do take care of, of of um you know providing that information to 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 the people that
1: are, that are watching which is really good. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. No, it's really honest. It's never been about being big for me. I've never tried to grow the channel to a point where it was an unmanageable amount of conversation going on to where I can't directly engage with somebody. If somebody has a question and they're like, oh, I really want to know, can you like show me how that works? Can you do that? Mm -hmm. I want to be able to do that. Makes sense.
0: So you have obviously very big experience with all type of keyboard builds that you have done. Throughout these these years, uh, you know, from the so-called end game, like people like to call them, uh, to complex builds like the corns with LEDs, SMD soldering, etc. From that, you know, from all of those, what is the the type of build that you enjoy
1: the most doing? That's so. Frankly, it's pretty hard to say. Um, I get something different out of all the different types of builds. So if I'm building somebody's end game, you know, traditional Korean custom type format board, right? Or design, uh, mm-hmm. op, for me, what I get out of it is getting to handle probably a board that I don't have or haven't seen very many of and playing around with it, right? So I get that out of it. Um, so that's that's good for me. But I I also don't like doing the same thing over and over and over and over repeatedly in a row. Um, then it becomes tedious, right? So, I love it when somebody sends me something like a like a corn or a lily fifty eight or something else, and it's like, yeah, now we're gonna do this.
0: Especially when I have to un- unsolder all the all the, or you have to troubleshoot. Like I saw on one of your streams that you have to troubleshoot all the LEDs that are not working on the corns.
1: Right? Yeah, which is basically everybody's corn <laughs> build ever. I, I think that may have been yeah. fixed though when they added the smd leds that have the little wings that come off the side mm-hmm. and they yeah. extended the pads on the, i think that may be fixed the kit that i have for me is one of those so when i build that i'll, I'll i guess i'll find out but generally speaking smd leds especially when they're flush mount through the pcb oh, are a pain in the ass
0: yes they are yeah. but it's very and, gratifying you know that's one of the things i, I talk about those type of builds is that You know, there's such a pain to do that when they're done and working, they're very
1: gratifying because it's like a a fight to get them to work. And when they do, it's amazing. Yeah, it's like, hey, this thing was a pain in the ass, but now it's done. It works and I like it. Question for you. So then
0: what was the build that you loved the most doing? Of all of the builds, do you have one that you really said, you know, this is the most amazing build I ever done? And not talking about the board itself, but maybe the experience of building it or something like that. Um.
1: So, that's a that's a really really good question. So basically, for me, um, when I built the Red Alps, or the Red uh, Salamander with Brown Alps, mm-hmm. I loved yep. the board. I loved the way that it that it worked, the way that it went together. I like Alps builds a lot in general because you always have to tinker with and tune and fit something. It never goes exactly the way you want it to. So I like those because there's, it's almost like you're building something precision that requires hand fitting. Um, so I like that board, even though I don't like the board itself that much, the way it's built with the plate that it has in it, the sound is just not very good. It feels good. Sound is trash. Um, yeah. Frankly, it is the PBT plate is a mistake in my opinion, but I like that type of board build, so probably it's that build for me was probably the one where I was like, hey, this thing is amazing. I'm so happy that I did it. I'm not happy with the way it turned out sound wise, but I'm happy that I did it. And I've got a few more builds like that that will be coming up um, where I'm going to do some more Alps stuff just because I have a bunch of Alps stuff laying around of my own that I haven't built. So more to come.
0: The other, now inverting the question, what was the one that you hated the most doing? That gave you the most pain to build and that you really didn't enjoy it at all to build?
1: So, I can't think of exactly which board, but there are a couple instances, I think one or two, where we literally did not have the things on hand to complete the build. So I had to stop in the middle and then kind of cut the stream short. I think the reason I disliked it the most, though, wasn't because I personally had to come back to it, but because I left the stream hanging. Um, There have not been very many instances of that, and it's because I normally carry a lot of parts on hand for my own stuff. So even if a customer board like they just didn't send the right stuff, I can, you know, make it work and make it right with the customer after the fact. but I've I had one or two instances where that's happened, and I've absolutely hated that. It's the worst.: I know that it's, it's complicated. and again,
0: you know uh, I like to build myself and I've built a board for, for other people too. but uh, do you, obviously, I have a lower you know, volume of, of requests than you have, but do you, t- do you take the time to look at everything that comes and make sure that everything is there, or, you know, like you said, sometimes you know something is missing? Um, not saying that you don't really care when you get something and you don't make sure that things are there, but uh, what is your process when you receive something from... from? Because I, I assume that you would have a, You know, you have a... Um, how do you call it? Um, already a few boards to build from customers that send you th- those boards, right? And if you have a, a long, a long uh, lead time because of all these boards that you need to, to build, sometimes you probably, even with your personal life and your work, et cetera, you don't really have the time to go through every little piece.
1: Yeah. So generally speaking, um, what I'll do is, is I'll open the the board up. I'll, honestly, I'll usually leave it for a day or two. I've been more prone to do that since COVID just because, you know, it's not that big of a rush because usually I have a queue built up. I very infrequently let my queue empty out and I do it. Normally when I do it, I do it on purpose because I don't want to, um, because I want to get around to some of my own projects invariably yeah. someone will come along and randomly hit me up and be like hey uh do you mind taking my board build i'd love i'd like to do this that or the other thing and then i'll acquiesce which is why i still even though like 2 months ago or 3 months ago i was like hey we're going to work on a bunch of personal builds i've let my queue empty out and then it filled kind of back up i'm not unhappy about it i like building other people's boards for them and getting it right getting them a product that i think they're going to love generally that's the feedback so hopefully people aren't lying to me and they actually love them I'm not upset about anything, um, but that being said, I, I do have a process, so I'll usually let it sit for a couple of days because life is busy or whatever, and then on a weekend or a weeknight where I'm unexpectedly pretty unbusy, I'll open up the package, I'll briefly take a look, I'll check the board itself to make sure there's no physical damage. Um, yeah, I have received boards that were damaged in shipping before. only that has to be a pain man that has to be a pain once was something of mine which uh frankly i'm not that unhappy about in retrospect um but another one was a customer's board where something was damaged um so effectively i check out the board itself and i check to see generally that all the parts are there now if it's an alps build I'm not going to dive in and like try and fit all the pieces there off stream together and make sure that they all physically go together. Right. Um, I'll check to see that there's stabs there. Um, Usually I'll count them, but sometimes I'm in a rush. I don't really count them. So if you send me the wrong number of stabs, it's potential that I would have missed that. So there are some places where I could be better about it, but where frankly I just don't have the time to be better about it. And it hasn't bit me it either hasn't bit me very often or it hasn't bit me in a way that's been detrimental to getting the build done and back to the customer. Like if you send me too few stabs or even if you send me no stabs, I have plenty of stabs laying around. It's not like I can't just say, hey customer, we got to this. When I finally unboxed the, like right before the stream starts, I notice there aren't, there aren't quite enough because right before the stream starts, I do check it all out again. And yeah. that's when I go through it with a fine tooth comb usually. Um, like a really fine tooth comb. Yeah. It's in your builds. He's like, yeah, if
0: you don't have tabs, you have a bag of them. So yeah, you can you can put it in and then and then work that out.
1: Exactly. So so usually we can work little stuff like that out. Um where I, I am recalling which board now that I definitely had to stop, and it was a rain keyboard. Oh um, yeah, the rain. And it and oh, it I had remember, a I
0: remember watching
1: that. I yeah, remember it was, what it was yeah. right after I got a microscope, right? And so literally yeah. it was brand new to the stream. I had a microscope and I had this problem with a PCB. Now, I, I'm not gonna go over your PCB with a fine tooth comb before we get to the build to make sure that it looks like it's intact. I do a standard test of the PCB before I do the build just to verify that, hey, this PCB works in case it doesn't work. And then, you know, you, the customer need to go back to the manufacturer and be like, hey, you guys sent me a bad board. And I did that in this case, and the PCB. I think it must have been a prototype PCB because all the SMD components looked like they were hand soldered, yeah. um, and they were they were not soldered correctly. Right? It wasn't functional, and the connector on the PCB was loose. So that's the case where I where I had to stop and then just build something different of my own. But yeah, that's. Those are the kinds of problems that could creep up in my process that would prevent me from building your board on the date that that I agreed to do. Now, in the past, I used to do where I would uh, agree to, like, I would take your board and it would enter the queue and then I would be like, nope, this is the date that's assigned to it, right? But for my work, I've had to travel a few times and it kind of sucks to notify like five people like, hey, I'm bumping your board by... um from my sunday stream to my tuesday stream or whatever and so it's actually going to be on this different day so now i don't do that it's just whatever is next up in the queue is what's going to get built on the stream where i'm able to build it um normally yeah. normally i try and make sure that a customer board is gonna get built within a month from delivery so that's pretty much my process
0: another question then so you know, do you have uh, the do the do do your customers normally send you the board as they want it, or do you also have people that just come up to you and say, "You know what? Can you advise me and build a board for me that you would advise me to build to 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 get?
1: yeah, I do get I do get customers like that. I have over the past. Now, that mostly happened when I was actively posting advertisements. I haven't been posting advertisements in forever at this point. So normally I get more people who are like, oh, hey, I have whatever board coming in. I want you to build it. But in the past, when I was actively advertising it, I would get newbies hitting me up who would be like, hey, uh, I want a mechanical keyboard. I see your services. They look um, attractive to me price wise or whatever. Uh, I watched a couple of your streams. That's they look really cool. How do I get how do I get going with this? And when I encounter customers like that, then I have a bunch of questions that I start asking them. I have some yeah. really generic ones, like what layout do you want? You know, are you interested in RGB? Are you interested in um, this, that, or the other thing? Some of them will hit me up and be like, I totally want hot swap. That's common for newbies. Um, yeah. I refuse yeah. to work with, uh, well, I 100% refuse to ever work with whole tights again. Um, those are trash. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't I do, I the field. yeah. yeah, I don't do, um, I don't do Milmax sockets. I have worked with them, but honestly, I just don't like the quality that they impart onto the product that I'm going to give you back. They can cause some issues with the switch um, being completely perpendicular to the plate, yeah. um, depending on the switch or perpendicular, to, sorry, to the PCB, um, because they have a little bit of stuff that a little bit of material that sticks up above the PCB. So, depending Correct. on the switch, they can actually cause the switch to rock just a little bit. Um, it doesn't happen all the time. There are some switches that are totally fine with it, but I have seen that thing happen. So generally speaking, I want when I hand you a product back, right? I don't want my name to be attached to something that I know isn't going to be the rightest way it can be. It
0: so makes sense. yeah,
1: so i don't I don't want to take those builds, right? It's not because they're a pain in the ass, which they are. Um, they're not that big of a pain in the ass though. It's not as, as an example, as much of a pain in the ass as lubing and filming switches, which I do for basically everybody. Yeah. Um, so, so basically it, it comes down to the quality. Um, I, I just want it to be attached to something really good. So when I get a new customer and they want, they have questions, right? I'll try and guide them down the path that I think is right and I'll try and set the boundary where where I'm willing to do a build. Right. Now if you're if you're like, hey, I want a I want a DZ60 in a in an acrylic um whatever made by KBD fans or whatever, I'm still totally willing to do that. In fact, I don't think those are bad boards for people who are brand new in an entry level, regardless of what anybody's feelings on any particular vendor are cheap boards are not necessarily bad. Correct.
0: They make our they make our hobby move, right? Also, you know, and and uh like you were saying at the beginning and like I had that mentality when I started, you know, we have to understand that for a lot of people that start and you know, they start looking at at mechanical keyboards and oh, you know, I would like to try one. And they see prices of even for us that nowadays we speak that oh, this board is really cheap.
1: It's 150 dollars right? Yeah. That's super cheap. If you're just listening to this for the first time, that's super cheap. <laughs> that's super cheap. Yeah, exactly.
0: For a board. And, but, and on top of that, the thing that, you know, it happens to me a lot when I'm trying to, to, to give tips to people too, is that you go like, oh yeah, you can get like a clipper, you know, clipper, you want a 6% a clipper, clipper, really good price. You know, it's around 130, 140 euro that's, and then you start thinking, oh wait, but that's just the case then you need the PCB, then you need the switches, then you need the caps, right? And for us, it's very easy for us to say, oh, you know, $150 is very cheap for this board, but we're not talking about the full board, we're talking about the case. Sometimes not even with the PCB attached to it, right? So, and no switches, obviously, and no caps. So for someone that starts, you know, and if you tell them that, you know, get this, that is, um, you know, $150, oh, but you need to spend this and this and this and then they end up realizing that it costs three hundred. Even for us, we might consider that it's a, you know, and I hate that term again, I hate that term, budget, but that we might think it's a budget build compared to others. For them it's ridiculous. People think, how can these people be spending this amount of money? You know, I you know, a lot of them are students, probably don't have the money, probably they'll have to ask their parents, you know, for a gift, either for birthday or Christmas or whatever. And You know, even if I was a parent and my my kid would come to me and say, oh, can you buy me a keyboard? Yeah, how much it is? $400. Are you crazy? Right? Because they don't understand.
1: And that's the minimum bar to entry price that I usually give people. I usually tell them that the minimum you're really going to get into into a mechanical, a custom mechanical keyboard built um, is going to be about $400. That's the minimum price for a complete and full keyboard not full size, but fully built keyboard with keycaps, with switches, the whole deal. Um, You can go a little less than that. There are times where you could. And there are a couple special cases where you might be able to go even significantly lower than that. And that's like, if you already have an OEM board that you want switches changed on or that fits into a different case inherently. So like if you have a, if you have a, um, norbauer case and you have already have a topra keyboard which i generally don't work with topra although i have i don't usually um there are a couple other cases like if you have a filco uh tkl like a Magis touch 2 or whatever you can can buy an aliexpress yeah yeah case for like 130 bucks or whatever 140 and then and then you can have something that cost you out of pocket for your custom build, less than four hundred dollars. But generally speaking, from the ground up, you're never going to get away with less than four hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah. It it sucks, but it's true. Exactly. But but it,
0: but it is. And and then you know one of the things that that uh, I feel that we we in the hobby we tend to forget is that then obviously you get the keycaps that and then those things stay right. You have your GMK keycaps, you have all that, but that stays even if you change a board.
1: Yeah, you get and to keep uh, those forever. You get to just move I those around switch, from one Yeah,
0: minutes. the switches, even the switches, you can desolder, put them back on another board, et cetera. But for someone that is really starting out and has nothing, all of that needs to be in factor, right? So it's complicated. It's really complicated. Now, you have brought, you, you mentioned before, just a, a while ago about your, your microvision. Like you call <laughs> it the microvision, but microvision. you know, your microscope, right? Uh, so you brought really good ideas to your stream like that, and also uh, Tiny Shiny Crumb. If you guys don't know, Tiny Shiny Crumb is um, uh, IME. You use moderator on on uh, on on the stream, uh, but she also you know is on voice on the stream, which is really cool. How did you come up with these ideas, right? Of bringing, as an example, bringing that microscope in, and then you know putting uh, Tiny Shiny Crumb also on chat, you know, on voice, because most of the mods are on chat, right? But not
1: really on voice on the stream. So there's two different, two different things came, uh, from two different Genesis points. Right. So TSC coming on as voice mod chat, right. Was I had a friend who watched the stream and he commented, he's like, Hey, I see you miss some comments sometimes, whatever, when especially on the Sunday streams where there's way more people on my stream. Um, thank you, Europeans and Australians. Love you guys. Yeah. that's <laughs> You
0: know, I have to say, before I would only watch your VODs on YouTube. That's it. I would not watch you. I wouldn't be able to watch you live because you, you know, of the time zones. And and when you started doing the, the those streams uh, on Sunday, which is, you know, on uh, good hours for us, it also gives, uh, you know, Europeans and, and Australians, but again, people outside of the U.S. a chance to join that, that stream,
1: right? Yeah, the, which is cool. The Aussies have an okay time catching my, my Tuesday stream, but the Sunday morning, morning for us here is actually really the only one that's viable for Europeans for to your, join into the yeah. chat. So effectively I changed my stream time just to engage with that audience because there's a bunch of people in europe who are into mechanical keyboards who are way less connected to streamers for sure but even kind of the rest of the hobby as a result of their their lack of proximity which to america which is really dumb right given that this is an internet completely internet supported thing so i i figured i'd move my stream time for that but the genesis was on those stream days, it's busier. The chat is busier. And so if somebody, if I have a bunch of my own people, somebody reads with a bunch of people, the chat gets super chaotic from a standpoint of me being able to perform a build and then also Correct. catch everybody's chat. And so my, um, one of my friends who watched the stream said something about it to me. And I was like, well, how do I fix that, right? Um, I mean, I have the chat window up. I just miss stuff sometimes. And so TSC was already the mod for quite a long time, for a year before we did that change. And so I just approached her and I was like, hey, um, you're always dedicated to the stream in the actual chat, like every time. Do you think it would be cool if I had you on on voice, right? Now, it goes a little bit into the background of her as a person, right? I also know that she does um vocal work for uh for a living right so she she does um some training materials and stuff like that that's that's like her primary job right and she does a bunch of vocal work so i know that she had sound some sound setup although she did upgrade a little bit when we did the stream um but it was a response to a problem that was directly noticed So that's the genesis of that. The genesis of microvision is you guys are commonly used to seeing this overhead view of keyboard streamers and then a face view. And I already had an over-the-shoulder camera and I thought, well, hey, I'd really want to be able to show people these really finite, these really fine details up close. So at first I thought about just sticking a macro lens on my over-the-shoulder cam as the second viewpoint but the reality is even though macro lenses are really good at capturing those details up close and the images are more beautiful on a macro lens than they are on this microscope that i have on my desk um but they don't show all of the detail right their focal their focal plane is very narrow i needed something that could get really close up detail of everything and so I had seen the Lewis Rossman stream before and I was like hey he's got this big compound microscope that has a camera on it I wonder how much those are and it turns out they're not that expensive even those big compound ones I thought about buying one of those the problem for me is how would I mount it in such a way that it could be here and then I could also swing it around and out of my way when I didn't want it over so there wasn't a really feasible way to do that but there's a couple companies, mostly Chinese companies, that make um, these desktop microscopes, and you can buy the cheap $20 one or whatever on Amazon, but it's garbage. The cheapest you're ever going to get into a desktop microscope that's worth anything at all is about 130 or 140 bucks. I think the one that I have is maybe like 230, 240, something like that, but it's not an impossible thing, and it has HDMI output, so. Immediately goes into my capture cards, no problem. Yeah,
0: and I find I have to say, man, it's so curious because, uh, you know, when when you when you introduce that, it's it's so funny to see like the saw so, the soldering itself, you know, at that level of detail because it totally changes the way that you see it. You're normally used to seeing it, you know, obviously naked eye or stuff, but seeing that that way, it's so so curious.
1: The right? thing is, though, when you hold your Yeah, when you hold your work up to your face, you can see a lot of that detail that my microscope is picking up. You can't maybe see all of it, but you can see a lot of it, but you're never going to see that on my SLR camera mounted above my rig, even if I zoom way in, right? I have a zoom on it. I can zoom way in and it's on something that lowers so I can get it really close. And even if I stick a macro lens on there, you're still never going to see all that detail coming through the camera unless you have something that's made to capture really minute detail because lenses just aren't that versatile, right? They can't you capture, know. hey, here's the whole world or hey, here's portrait framing and then also capture at a really close yeah. distance. the just, yeah. Yeah, so now, that's why.
0: Another one. So you mentioned before about Alps and you seem to love your Alps. Why do you love Alps? Alps, you know, the, uh, we know that re- Alps require a ton of work to make them good and also very hard, very expensive to come by, especially, you know, certain types of Alps are very, very hard to find. Uh, I had Giro Sikan on on the show. He also said that, you know, you need to find a uh, new old stock because a lot of Alps that you can buy which are used there or bro- broken, etc. What makes them a, a thing for you? and any particular quality or property that Alps have that you enjoy much more than MX.
1: So I didn't listen to the, and you pronounced it totally differently than I do, so sorry yeah. uh, if no I'm ruining I, your name, but Chiros, found, Chirosran, yeah. right? So basically the, yeah, I learned that the, the
0: pronunciation is Chirosran,
1: but that's okay. a H, which is... I can't, I can't make the, uh, that sound at yeah, the back of my throat, 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 though, yeah. unfortunately. Um, so... <laughs> Um, I've watched a ton of his videos and I, I didn't watch, I didn't listen to the Thok episode where he was on, but I have a suspicion that my love of Alps comes from a similar place that his does just knowing his content in general. Um, our hobby has massive vintage roots. In fact, the, all the fancy switches, all the new, you know, million different varieties of naming of different switches from JWKs to Zeals to standard cherry stuff, right? It all comes from really old designs and some of the best old keyboards had Alps switches in them. There are plenty of keyboards that had completely different types of switches in them um, that are also really awesome. But there was a large period of time where Alps switches were the predominant switch used in keyboards or were the dominant switch used in keyboards, and they were really good. And some of those keyboards are really good. And I have a bunch of vintage keyboards that you guys basically never see on stream because everybody's into what they're into. So that's the content that I try and provide you guys. But I do have a bunch of old vintage boards. In fact, when I first got into the scene, I ordered, you know, a couple boards here and there. And before any of those came in, I bought a ton of vintage boards. I shopped around. I went to secondhand stores. I went to e-waste places. And I found some really great examples of cool old boards. And I fell in love with them. And some of them I was in love with for, you know, decades just using on my regular computer or computers, right? So for me, it's not just a meme, although there is a lot of that in the hobby. It's memery to just, you know hey, I built this crazy Alps whatever, that's great. Um, you probably could have had a, a really fancy MX-style switch in there and it would have been just as good of a keyboard. Um, and it would have felt just as good and it probably would have sounded a little better and, you know, whatever. And you would have been able to put whatever keycaps you want on there versus these limited Correct. sets that you can put on these. Um, so part of me likes doing it because there's more hand-fitting. Part of me likes doing Alps stuff because... It's more of a challenge to go find all the correct parts for the board you're gonna build, um the right keycaps, the right to support your layout, the right uh, switches, the right stabs, whatever. Um, so that's a reason that I like it. It's more challenging, but there's also a nostalgia value to it for me that really solidifies my desire to have Alps switches and stuff. now I don't think they're better than MX switches, though. I don't. I think that brown alps and neon green alps are incredibly great tactile switches, and there are very few MX switches that come anywhere close, but with with those exceptions, generally speaking, they're not better. In fact, they're less stable. They have more wobble in one direction than the other because of the non-uniform design of, yeah. the, of how it works, right? Of the mechanicals inside of it. Um, their service life is incredibly short compared to an MX switch. MX switches are rated for 50 million, but can realistically go to a hundred million, though they will experience some changes in feel and sound probably mostly feel though. Um, as they get past 50 million cycles, whereas Alps, you're talking like five to 8 million, right? And yeah. then, and then there's problems with it. So they are and not God forbid, God technically
0: superior. Dust goes in
1: right? If some oh, dust yeah. goes into them, that's it. Well, out, and that, right. well, they need to be cleaned out at least, right? So that's the other thing. You have to cover your Alps keyboards if you want them to be kept in really good condition, or you have to be willing to disassemble all the switches, clean them out, or maybe just blow some compressed air in through the top. I mean, there's multiple ways, but it requires effort to clean them. Um, and they're really prone to getting scratchy with any dust. So... They're not superior. I just like them a lot, if that makes sense.
0: It does. It does. Now, you you touch on on a subject before, but but it's it's something that I would like to raise. So, I would be curious on doing a on doing a build with Alps because I never really tried them, you know. And obviously, then uh, me being a linear guy, then maybe it wouldn't be you know linear Alps are. I heard that they're very hard to come by, and you know. I'm much better off with with MX because, you know, when you're a linear guy, you really like smooth and uh, it's very hard to get really nice, smooth Alps. Uh, But would you say that some people build Alps keyboards just for the flex of having, you know, the neon Alps that are very rare and very expensive to have? And not really because of what they mean and what they are to them?
1: A hundred percent. I mean, I'm not going to say that there's no nostalgia value or a uh, vintage value to them, but I am going to say that if you built a, ne- if you built a neon green Alps build and you didn't already just for some ridiculous reason, have a bunch of neon green Alps or a busted board that had neon green Alps in it. And the vintage actually doesn't matter to you. You just wanted a cool keyboard with a few exceptions, right? If you built with neon greens, you probably should have built with browns for the money. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say that neon greens aren't awesome. They're awesome. So are browns, and frankly, they're much much cheaper. Although they're more expensive now and harder to come by than they were in the past. Um, probably because of people like me who have aired, you know, what sources of Al- brown Alps you might be able to find out there.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, and hidos. And, and yeah when and him, says
0: about, for sure about something that's it then doubles in price immediately that's basically what it what it is i even joke with yeah. him on, the, on on that episode because uh because of that because i i joked with him and said do you realize that when you talk about you know uh, some vintage keyboards that would cost 20 pounds before when you do a review on them they immediately start costing 200 to 300 because then people know that everyone starts
1: searching for them yeah or something that was already Three or four hundred dollars is now a thousand dollars. Correct. As an example, Correct. yeah. So, uh, so that being said, they're just not they're not better, right? And so, if you're not going to enjoy them, if you're not going to enjoy those switches. You might as well sell them and let somebody else who is going to do it. Because the, you're not wrong when you talk about you wanting to do an Alps build and you wanting to do linears. I mean, there are some decent linears. There are greens, taxi cab yellows, stuff like that which are good, um, but they aren't, especially in the linear world, they aren't as good as plenty MX alternatives. Correct. That are much, much cheaper or much easier to source. And then your keycap selection goes way up. Um, so I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I think you should do it, but you have to examine why you want to do it. And flexing is not necessarily a bad answer. Some people do just build them for the flex, but some of us out there actually like them and want to use them,
0: yeah, I'm not saying that everyone does it because of of the flex, but you know it's it's, it's that discussion that we had before It's very simple, right? It's that uh, there's people that buy uh, I like to, to to always come back to that Ferrari idea, but there's people that buy Ferraris because they really want a really fast car and they love the concept of a Ferrari and they want to drive it and there's people that buy Ferraris just to put it on the driveway and and hey guys, you see, I have one of those so there's the two sides of, of that in any part of life. And our hobby is not different in that. Yeah, That's so,
1: what I say, right? So I have, and I always bring to meetups this one board. I have a board that kind of pokes fun at that whole thing. And it's a, uh, it's an, it has, it's that AliExpress Philco compatible case. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's got blue Alps in it. <laughs> and it's, uh, and it's, tray gasket mounted because i had to come up with a custom mounting solution and it has cheap keycaps and uh nathan actually made fun of me a little bit at a meetup cuz he saw it and he's like what the hell is this right and i told him oh it's my blue alps like go f yourself with your blue alps board you know what i mean yeah um, yeah, yeah it's i was just trying to build the cheapest blue alps board i could just to kind of poke fun at at our whole ridiculous Flexing of Alps, and yeah. so, but I mean, you gotta you gotta be able to not you gotta be able to take yourself seriously when you need to, but then also realize what your motivation is and be willing to poke fun at your own motivations in in the hobby, right? If it's to flex, great, you have your flexi board, but also you can have your I'm making fun of the fact that we're flexers board,
0: correct? Correct,
1: yeah, indeed, yeah.
0: So. On the subject of costs and, you know, pricing of keyboards, et cetera, uh, we know that you have a extensive collection of keycaps, sets and boards, etc. Um, You know, we know that all of this takes a long time to manufacture. And I always like to, to bring up this question, again, not diving into anyone's personal life or finances, but, you know, it's a question that any new newbie like you, when you were starting out and I had when I was starting out, which is, how can these, you know, when you start seeing these people on streams with all this, people tend to think, you know, one costs this, how can they have money
1: for all of that? Yeah. So How do they have thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 worth of keyboard sitting there?
0: Correct. How, how, you know, how, right? Um, my question is always, you know, what would you say to a beginner? What is your personal process to start saving up to be able to get it? Because, you know, people don't realize that a lot of this is time because you cannot just go and buy all of the GMK sets now, you know, because most of them don't exist anymore and, and uh, you know, they take time to manufacture, but how would you advise someone that started in a hobby and he really wants to go into, you know, that level of having several GMK sets, et cetera, and they maybe not, they're not able to have, uh, you know, the finances to do it every month. What would you advise people to do to, in order to, you know, to to save up for that or something like that?
1: Okay, yeah. So if you're brand new to the hobby, right, um, there's a couple ways that you could get into this. One, you could buy your way in. You could buy a ton of stuff on mech market at way exaggerated prices and you can get in on it. That's a valid way to do it. In fact, there are a couple people in the hobby names you would probably even recognize on Instagram, on Twitch, on wherever, where you'd be like, oh, yeah, that guy's pretty new to the hobby. And he definitely bought all those things recently. Right. So almost certainly that person had to buy their way in. Now, if the funding is more challenging for you, what I would honestly recommend is start simple. If you find your way into a private group buy or you buy some KBD fans keyboard or an inexpensive, like a Clipe or, you know, something that is going to make you happy and keep you interested in the hobby, but where you won't be sad to have it in the future, right? Or, where you if you don't want it anymore, you can sell it and at least recoup your cost. um, yeah, do something like that, right? Now, I know you just asked how do i how do I recommend people save money to get the things they want? And I just recommended they go spend money, right? So we'll get to that <laughs> we'll get to that part first, right? Find yourself something that's gonna make you happy enough for now, right? And then, for me, um, regardless of what my financial situation is versus yours, you can apply the same process. So I set myself uh, a key budget, right? A certain amount that I'm willing to spend. And I actually put that money in like a different bank account. (laughs) Um, Makes sense. So I put that money in a different account altogether and I'll add to it, like it's like a key allowance, right? For per month now some months I go over and I supplement just a little bit more to like make the whatever it is happen. And then I pull it back from the next month or whatever. But sometimes I go under because there aren't a lot of sets or there aren't a lot of things. Right. And it kind of stacks up a little bit and then I'll buy the boards that I want. Now, how big that budget is, is going to dictate obviously how frequently you get to buy the types of boards you want, depending on how expensive those boards are. Um, That's kind of how I do it. It's kind of what works for me. Um, Every now and then there's like, oh, this opportunity came up. Like as an example, private group buys where it's like, uh, I'm already close to my key budget. And I just, I definitely want that board. Right. So I'm going to go out of my regular everyday spending money to do that specific thing. Um, that doesn't happen too often because for for me, I pay attention enough to the like parts that I'm interested in or talk enough to the people that I know are making those things or are doing those projects where I have a little bit of advanced warning so I can know that, Hey, I can't, even though there's like four sets that I want to buy in on next month, I'm not going to buy any of them because I want this keyboard or whatever. So it's just about controlling, you know what I mean? Your action. No, you know,
0: it, it, it's a discussion that I had, uh, I think it was with Jay on another episode too, but you know, it's one of the things that uh, that uh, we have in the hobby, which is a bit sad because of the nature of the group buys and how things are always group buys and not available, which is that FOMO and a lot of people tend to go, oh, you know, I want to buy it because otherwise I won't have it, right? But then the point being is that. There's always going to be a new, a new keyboard coming out. There's always going to be a new GMK set coming out. Now there's 10 sets coming out per month. So it's not like you're going to miss, you know, even if you miss this one that you find that it's the most amazing key set that ever is, next month probably we'll have another one which you will find that it's the most amazing key set that ever existed. Sure. You know. Sure. And I and I speak for 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 personal experience that I had keys, a key set arrived that. You know, I looked at it today, and when I bought it, I, thought, I found that it was really cool. And now I look at it and goes like, oh, okay," you know. And I've had and those. It's not a bad thing, right? So, <clears you throat> peaches know, and
1: cream. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. No, but, but it's that right? It's, your tastes change, right? Your tastes change. Your mindset changes of what, what? Because if it was something where you would buy today and in an, in a month, it's here. It's one thing. But you know, uh, as an example. I just received, I, I got into into the 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 group buy of the B-Box 60. You know, that little 60% that gets built that is like a kit, like an airplane kit where all the yeah. plastic comes, right? I think
1: it's pretty cool too, honestly.
0: Yeah, you know, and, I, and, I, and it was pretty cheap. And I went like, oh, cool, I'm going to buy it. took over, I think it was over a year and a half to be built, right? When I got it, I was like, oh, yeah, true. I, oh, we bought this. Yeah, true. You know, and so... You have to realize sometimes that when you get into, it, especially keycaps and and stuff like that, that when you get into certain sets, you know, you, you either get into a set that you really, really, really like, and it's, you know, as an example, white on black, which nowadays you can buy on drop almost every time. But you either get onto these sets which are very um, specific in terms of col- colors, which are very, um, you know, how how would I say the the how would I I put a term in, but very safe colors. But if you go into more uh specific types of sets and and uh, you could, you buy it today in a in a year's time or year and a half time you you won't like it when you get it because you you moved on right your tastes have changed when i started i i would see people going crazy with uh you know white on black and um nines you know g m k nines which for me I would look at it was like it's gray, you know what's so special about the set but then nowadays it's the sets that I like the most are the most. Simple ones, because you, that that goes into any board, first of all, you know. And, you know, white on black, classic, classic set. You know, I think it's one of the most beautiful sets that exists, and people might say, oh, but it's just black with white letters. Yes, it is, but it's it so cool.
1: Right? Literally my favorite set, <laughs> white on black. Correct. The GMK
0: one, because of the, I don't know, it's also, what I find is the shine that people don't like, but I embrace the shine, man. The, the shine is is cool it, it's such a cool
1: set yeah i think my most shined set is definitely shoko round one um but when you find a set that you really love so i love white on black um and i love monochromatic sets in general um yeah. but i i really i use them the most because they're the most appealing to me generally speaking um so i bought a second on black set, just to have two white on black sets because I know that one is going to get shined and I want to be able to take one to a meetup and have it presentable. Um, yeah, my Shoko got shined, so when they did an R2, I bought two R2 sets. And <laughs> so, the advice that I gave before about um, about money and saving up for key sets or whatever it's really, that's really applicable to collectors and people that aren't going to be getting rid of the things that they've got, right? There's another aspect to that, which is if you're the person who just wants an end game thing, then get in on whatever you want, whatever you think is really appealing because generally speaking, you're going to be able to sell it for at least as much as you paid for it. Now, I don't recommend flipping to anyone, but again, I'm a collector, so I want to buy these things to have, not as an investment. But I love sets like that. I love things like that that are simple. Um, I think there's beauty in the simplicity that is our rectangular keyboards. Um, Our standard rectangular TKL layout with, you know, white on black on it. I love that. But not everybody's into that. And you you have so many choices. But if you want to like, if you want to all the really out there colorful sets, um, you don't have to be too scared. They're probably going to run a second round of it. Very likely. There are a few sets where you can look at them and be like, they're never going to r- run around two of this. It'll be successful enough to make MOQ and people will buy it, but not successful enough that any vendor is going to want to rerun it, right? Yeah. In those yeah. cases, you're just going to have to pony up the cash if you weren't there for the original group buy. True. <laughs> True. But white on black will always be available and it fits on everything. Buy it. Definitely, definitely, definitely does. Man.
0: Now, not to be all about keyboards, but uh, you know, I know that you're also a. Don't get wrong. Don't get me wrong for the word, but also a geek for other stuff like your solar panels, photography. You love photography, and even chickens that you mention on streams, right? So, what are other hobbies that you have that you you know that you are deep into
1: and that we might not know? So uh maybe not hobbies that i'm deep into right now so hobbies are really cyclical for me um there are some recurring themes like always computers always at some point make recurrences even if i kind of fall out of having whizbang computer gear right now or for a couple of years i'll come back to it um mm-hmm. so keyboards fall into that category for me electronics are that way um Machining in general is kind of that way. So machined products or machining itself, um, it's kind of that way. So anything that touches on those subjects is subject to be one of my hobbies at some point. Other hobbies that I've been into, um, you know, just general electronics, obviously the solar stuff that I've done. Um, I like the chickens. I like cats. Um, Actually, I'm more of a dog lover than a cat lover, but I do have four cats. Um, cats so. are amazing, man. Yeah, but I can I go on vacation with it. cats because I can just have somebody check in on them and they'll be fine with a dog. And I have to, like take it with me. Correct. Correct. Um, so there's that, um, I like, I like going outside, um, in the past, uh, off-road motorcycles have been hobbies of mine for large portions of my life. Um I I'm reluctant to talk about this on Twitch and on YouTube too much because generally speaking those places are anti being into firearms but firearms have been a hobby of mine that kind of touches on the machining side of it though I'm more yeah. interested by like the mechanical workings of it and how they function and cuz it's a very mechanical Don't device get me it's it's very curious because it's something that, you know...
0: And again, me being European and, and and everything, it's it's something that for us doesn't really make that much sense when people say, oh, you know, I enjoy firearms. You know what I mean? Because, sure. And again, now being totally honest, it, it, it's something that it's not... As it's not common, right? We don't see it in a way. And, and like you said, you know, some people even take a offense of it. Oh, how can you... But I do understand a bit the concept of why you you would enjoy it. You don't enjoy a firearm because you can shoot people. You know what I mean? It's, you enjoy the machine itself. You enjoy the mechanics of it. I understand the, the fascination about it. But it's curious that it's so it's a culture much more of the of the USA than than other countries. You know, sure. in, in Portugal
1: forget it. You cannot have one. You know it's crazy to have a, a firearm. Yeah there are Scandinavian West, countries common, right? where you can, but and I think Poland, you can have guns. Russia, you're not supposed to, but everybody does. Australia, yeah. <laughs> you're not supposed to, but there are more guns now in Australia than there were before they had any kind of a ban. Um, yeah, so I realize it's not a cultural uh, thing for everybody. Not everybody's all about it. But for me, I'm just intrigued by mechanical devices by electrical devices by all sorts of machining techniques and things like that so for me even if i wasn't even if there were no cultural relevance to me i would be interested in it um yeah i'm not a big drinker but i have 100 percent considered getting into the hobby of distilling just because cool. it's a thing yeah, you can yeah. do and it's yeah. it's very like i'm gonna have to build the the things to make that whole thing work, right? So one day I'll get into that thing. Uh, It may be tomorrow, it may be three years from now, but I know it'll happen. And I'll go deep down that rabbit hole. Coffee, are you a coffee person? Uh, Like a hobby coffee person or not? I, I am, but to the extent that I like drinking really good coffee, I'm not snobby about coffee. I think a lot of people might see my keyboards and think maybe that I'm a elitist uh but before they ever meet me or talk to me. Um, I'm I'm really interested in learning about all the things. So when I see yeah. when I see a hobby, I go deep, right? And that could come off as like, oh, this person is, you know, with the high-end group of people in this hobby where they're just elitist about all the things. But that's very much I not the case.
0: I- I normally say that you know that's why I I told I, I told a uh, geek it's you know that's what I that's yeah. how I I coined the term geek you know and a geek is someone that really wants to learn everything there is to learn about whatever it is interested in and yeah. it could be today something tomorrow another thing but whenever you're interested in a topic then you really go deep and and you want to learn a lot about
1: it right yeah so I'm but, I am that way about coffee too but that being yeah. said. My, you don't
0: roast your your
1: coffee beans before I don't doing roast the coffee like a lot myself. I don't uh, typically do pour over or Chemex just because it takes too much time. So I use a Bemmer brazen, which is kind of like a machine that does pour over coffee, yeah. uh, internally. Yeah. Like it has a shower head where it can pulse the jets around and do the do the pre-soak and then you know do the whole thing. I do grind my coffee right before I brew it, but just because that's how you get the best flavors out of it. Yeah. 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 That's me. I, those are some of the hobbies that I'm into. There's millions more that I've been into over time, um, but those are, I guess, notable ones. So last questions of the podcast, right? So one that we do
0: to every guest too, and again, it's your choice on whatever you want to talk about, but if you could change something today in the keyboard hobby, what would it be? And it could be a good thing, a good bad thing. You decide it's up to you. You tell me.
1: I think, honestly, the hobby is mostly on the right track. Um, it's going to keep growing. And change is inevitable in all things. So I think there's people that are hung up on wanting it to stay exactly the same. And it's just not going to happen. It couldn't happen. It, you know, everything yeah. has its time. So the hobby is growing. So I don't want it to stop growing. I. If you had asked me this previously, I would have said, Hey, you know, I wish that there were some big manufacturers that were taking us seriously, that were allowing people through their own economy of scale to kind of get into some of the things that we do with reasonable quality for reasonable price. That's even starting to happen kind of now. Um, and then they get slammed for that. Yeah, well, you know, I and mean, people.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, you finally get that and people, oh, but that's not, you know, they're coming after our hobby. No, nope.
1: they're not trying to destroy it. They're just trying to exist in this space and capture a Correct. portion of the market. And that's natural. And I hope honestly that they're more of a good influence than a bad influence. And their product at least does not appear to be a negative influence on the hobby. Uh, I don't, particularly like hot swap i wish that it was all solderable only you know what i mean but the reality is like it's it doesn't seem like a terrible product and they're trying to engage us in ways that we as enthusiasts would also really prefer like they want to like it, it can run qmk they want to they want to get it via compatible yeah. even though they have their own software suite which may or may not be good to modify it i mean hey if If these companies want to engage us in healthy, productive ways that bring value to us as enthusiasts, but also bring some enthusiast values to regular consumers, I I can't see why that would be a terrible thing. Uh, Some of these parts might get cheaper for the people that you already are, are patrons of. Like If you're already buying things from other vendors, because of these people's economy of scale some of these other products may become available at lower rates because more are being produced
0: and on top of that i think that you know uh, the point you, you made which is which is true is that they're not go, you know the, the, the and we we all know what we're talking about here but you know they're not going after the high end enthusiast this is not their market even on this on this hobby they're going into you know if when i started if i had the chance of buying a board like that for that price, right, which is great for a lot of people, you know, I would, and and we have to think that yeah, for us, which are enthusiasts and we know, uh, you know, we have experience in a lot of boards and we already know exactly what we want. It's completely different than someone that's starting, and for that type of market, it's great that they exist. You know, I think that you know they're not trying to compete with the high end stuff, and even though they use, even though they use a lot of of buzzwords for that, but You know, I
1: don't think that they are. This product is realistically what I hoped the product that I ordered very first when I got into the hobby, not the very first product, but the very first keyboard new group buy that I ever jumped in on was the Kono Cura hot swap, right? Yeah. And it, this new board is basically exactly what I wanted that board to be at the time. And I was new and I don't think that I have been a negative influence on the mechanical keyboard community, I think that I've, I'd like to think at least that I'm a positive influence on it. So I True. don't think that it's necessarily bad that it's going to get people engaged. Uh, you can hate on it all you want, but you also can't change that. It's a thing. So you might as well embrace it and you might as well find ways to have it be healthy part of our equation.
0: Correct. And if you don't, if anything if not for you, it's just not for you. You know, that's what it is. And, uh, and and doesn't really mean that it's bad. It's just that it's not for you. Sure. You know, you can say, yeah, it's not the best board in the world. Of course not. But they're not claiming that it's the best board in the world, right? They're just, yeah, they took, obviously they're smart. They took a lot of uh, things that the, you know, the community or the, you know, the, the trends at the moment, but that's a marketing thing and that's smart to do. You know, if you're, if you're starting out in a, if you want to go into the, and pick up that part of the of the market then you you know every company just would look and even the car company okay what what are what cars do everyone want oh do they want this we need to create a model which is you know similar to that that's every company
1: does that so you know we do that to ourselves how Correct. many alice clones exist exactly no exactly how many sales oh, yeah. exist yeah yeah how many 65s Again. came out last year or it's the year funny. before you,
0: if they had released this uh, TKL with those things, probably there wouldn't be that much of a of a fuss about it. Harder to integrate a knob into. Exactly, just because it has a knob, and it's a, and it's a certain form factor, people go crazy about
1: it. Sat seventy five right. has a knob and is that same rough form factor. That's why they do nobody that hates ball. it.
0: No, that's the thing, but but it's because what I feel that people hate it because of that, because they say, oh, they're copying the Satisfaction 75, right? You know, maybe they are, maybe they saw that this is a board that a lot of people, for me, 75% is a great format.
1: Yeah, but you we know, take design have... cues from each other and come Correct. up with new products that are similar but different, and theirs is obviously different but is similar in some ways because it has the same layout and it has a knob. I mean... They didn't copy the OLED portion of it. I mean, I, I'm not but I'm going to come to their defense because I don't know anything about the company, right? I did actually right. reach out to them when they very first announced they were going to have the board and wanted to try and get some kind of a, and I was like, I'll pay for it, but I would love to get uh, an advanced copy of it to to check out, right? I'd like to yep. do a review on it. I I did say, you know, I've created reviews in the past, so I'm going to be brutally honest about your board um feel free to go look at them i haven't done a lot of reviews but very early on in my streaming i did do one review of that cure hot swap it was not a very good review because it was very negative uh i think a lot of people saw it i tried to give them credit where credit was due because i thought they were doing some good things but it wasn't a good review overall um but the reality is i I wanted to see what it was gonna be all about and how it could be good or bad for us. And I don't think even from where I'm sitting where I haven't touched one, that it's a bad product or that it spells some doom for us or that they're direct copying someone. We take design cues from each other and we progress and nobody has a patent on putting a knob on something anyway. Nobody has a patent on you know, the layout of keyboards that we're using.
0: Otherwise, all the 60%
1: would be copies of each other. Exactly. They they all use the same thing. It's a
0: rectangle
1: with a layout. That's what it is, right? Yeah. So So it's hard for me to hate on them. Um, I don't think the product is probably the right product for me. Um, I'm clearly an enthusiast who's deep into it, and it is clearly a board made for beginning enthusiasts. Yeah, I agree. I agree.
0: Now, 2021, the year that we were thought that we were getting rid of this human malware, but it's still here, but hopefully they are going to be gone soon. So what's next for IMEURU? So
1: 2020 was going to be the year of going to all the meetups that I possibly could. Uh, <laughs> 2020 turned out not to be that thing. 2021 is turning out not to be that thing too. So for me... Um, the next like keyboard related thing is going to be when human malware is over, at least as you said, uh, is going to be, I'm going to go to more meetups. I want to go to a bunch of them. I want to yeah. travel around and meet people and see their cool keyboards and interact. I'm bad at, I'm bad at social media. I'm good at personal interaction.
0: Yeah. Yeah, true. Any any special project for your streams? Anything different that you want to try and start doing? Uh, I've noticed a stream which was a bit different the other day where you had a, a guest on and, and, and you talked. So uh, are you planning on changing a bit your stream style, not only keyboard builds, but other type of content or?
1: Yeah, so for a while we were doing two streams and they were two builds. And honestly, it's a lot of work. Um, mostly I did it because I had a lot of customer boards stack up. So it's always going to be a little bit ad hoc, but I do want to keep the Sunday stream as a build stream and any other streams that I do, I want to change the format to some extent. So I want it to be more about talking. I want to include more guests. I want to play around with some format changes to the actual stream itself. But Mm -hmm. generally speaking, uh, the Sunday is going to be the pretty uh, meat and potatoes build stream. It seems to be working. People seem to like it. Um, But yeah, the Tuesdays are going to be a little bit more of a wild card until we find exact direction. We are going to do probably our first subathon shortly after I get back from a trip that I have coming up. Uh, I have a couple things that I have to give away. Uh, One is a giveaway that I'm giving away, uh, Panda 65, which is a low-volume production uh, sandwich case, uh, which I love. I have one that's built that I love, so I'm gonna build one up and give it away to somebody. I'll probably throw some GAT yellows in there. So I bought a bunch of those and I kinda like them. No, it's great, GAT yellow is just a great switch. For an it's inexpensive switch, they're amazing. Oh, it's so good, so good. Lube them yeah, and yeah. film them and they're, That's mm, it. they're good. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna give that away. And then I have this OTD board that uh, Jax gave me to give away quite a while ago. That I still need to give away. So I think we're gonna do a little subathon action uh within a couple of weeks. And cool. we'll give that away. Good. Stay and tuned also on a, the Discord. An orange uh and also an orange
0: Alps build. A certain Orange Alps build is gonna be given away, guys. I don't know if you know I am you you are you doesn't know yet, but yeah, it's <laughs> gonna give you away that far. <laughs> am I? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Uh, I am here. you. Only thing left to say is thank you so much for being in the show. I really appreciate you you, you, you joining. Thanks for uh, having really me. No, it's a pleasure, guys. Um, I will put on the on the show notes. I'll put uh, all the details. Uh, you know, I'm URU's uh, channel. Everything uh, I will put on the show notes again. Uh, if you guys uh, are not aware, we have a, a a Twitter account where that you can subscribe and and you can follow us there. Um, We also are featured on all the the. Podcast platforms, wherever you, you listen to your podcasts. And um, the only thing left to say is thank you so much for, for for listening to us and, you know, you guys have a good one.